Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, the Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education, the most important institution in our democratic community, the cornerstone of a democratic state. Public education should be public in purpose and outcome. Above all, It should be publicly accessible, accessible to every child. Every child in Australia should have the opportunity of having a first-rate public education in their local area. And, of course, these public schools should be publicly owned and controlled, not be built with private-public partnerships and put a debt upon the taxpayers for many generations to come. They should be publicly built and paid for and controlled by an education department, answerable to the people for the expenditure of public money with honest bureaucrats employed there. And then, of course, for public education, we should only have public funding, as they do have in countries like Finland and Germany and elsewhere. There should not be public subsidies of private schools, and our government should provide a first-rate public education for every child in this country. Now, we know it's not happening. And the dogs are fighting, but other people are fighting too. It's very interesting what's been happening in the press and uh, with the different pressure groups uh, in Australia in the last 10 years. There's a worm turning the dogs feel. We've been battling this problem and we have taken an uncompromising stand on the state aid issues since the 1960s. We believe that private schools should not be given public funding, particularly religious schools, because this means that there should be separation of religion from the state. And more and more, of course, this has been the case that religion is having more and more say in the running of our country, religious groups. At the same time, as there are less and less people on the pews of the different established churches. But we have a website at www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. And there's a press release 597 this week up on the website And this is what we've got in it. Victoria, the private education state. In a 50-word letter to The Age, one correspondent on the 8th of 
of um, May 2015, suggested that the government should not put Victoria, the education state, on car registration plates, but rather Victoria, the private education state. Now, the public education lobby in Victoria particularly, but also in Canberra and New South Wales, are starting to wake up. And in some of their arguments, they're sounding surprisingly like the dogs. Uh, On the 7th of May also, there was an extraordinary article written by Julie Zago, which was entitled Private Schools and Their Bankrupt Propaganda, and I'll be referring to that later, or Robert will be referring to that later in this program. But um, in the last week... Some supporters have been prepared to blow the whistle on what has really happened to the DLP. The DLP, the Democratic Labor Party, which was the Catholic Labor Party that came out of the Labor Party in the split of 1954, has appeared to fade away. It has certainly just been deregistered because it can't get enough members throughout Australia. And uh, this is just not the case. Santa Maria's children from the Democratic Labor Party of the 1950s have had offspring and the dogs call them Santa Maria's bastards. And where are they? They are in the current Labor Party. They came back and took over the Labor Party. They've taken over the Liberal Party too and we all know about who is really in control in Canberra and the background of Mr Abbott and Andrews and others. But the influence of erstwhile members of the DLP and their fellow travellers is obvious at the highest levels of the federal government, but Victorians are starting to wake up to the influence of Santa Maria's bastards in the Victorian Labor Party. The dogs could have told people about this influence decades ago. But every time we raised it, the sectarian catch cry was raised as well. But not anymore. In an article which is entitled Labor's Own in Dark on the Private School Deal in the Age of May the 3rd, Royce Miller and Ben Schneiders have written the following. The Labor government's contentious guarantee of special funding to private schools blindsided the experts selected by the party to shape its education policy. There have been leaked minutes of the March meeting of Labor's Education Policy Committee and these reveal internal frustration over the surprise legislation that guaranteed Catholic and independent schools 25% of the state government funding given to public schools. Critics of the guarantee say it's at odds with the principle of the the Gonski model which seeks to make school funding needs-based and is blind to the public or private status of schools. The guarantee of 25% was promised to the Catholic Education Office just days before the November election. It has fueled concern within the wider labour and public education movements about the influence of the Catholic Education Office and the Conservative Shop Assistance Union, the SDA. Well, surprise, surprise, the dogs could have told them about this a long time ago. The influence of the 
SDA and other Catholic interests in the ALP, including the Education Minister, meant that the ALP was very receptive to the demands of the Catholic Education Office for more advantageous funding arrangements before the election, said Trevor Cobald, spokesman for State Schools Lobby, Save Our Schools. Education Minister James Merlino is the most senior of the state Labor MPs linked to the Catholic-led SDA, Australian Labor's largest union affiliate. The late minutes reveal that Mr Molino, who was the current Education Minister, by the way, was questioned with one committee member absolutely amazed that his committee had not been consulted about this guarantee with the Catholic Education Office. And the committee member describes the guarantee as contrary to what we, that's the ALP, are trying to achieve in education. So it's really quite interesting, isn't it? As the Age reported in March, this guarantee of 25% was slammed as a betrayal of the Gillard government's Gonski reforms by Ken Boston, who was a member of the Gonski Review Panel. And the Australian Education Union's relationship with the Andrews government has just taken a big dive over this. Funding of schools should be above politics, including the politics of public and private schools, said Meredith Pearce, the AEU Meredith Peace, I'm sorry, the AEU president last Saturday. Well, I've got I've got news for uh, Meredith. Education in this country has been very much about politics and the influence of the DLP or members of the DLP or members of the Catholic Church uh, since the 1960s. And as well as that, there is now, of course, the Independent Schools Union as well. Now, there's more information in the age uh, with these articles about this union, this Catholic union, the SDA, the Shop Assistance Union, the ALP and the Catholic Education Office. The new Pascoe Vale MP, a lady called Lizzie Blanthorne, was a former SDA official who also worked at the Catholic Education Office immediately prior to her election to Parliament in November. And as you might remember, in a letter to the Catholic school parents just days before the election, the Catholic Education Office Executive Executive Director Stephen Elder told the school parents in Victoria that both Labor and the Coalition had promised this 25% guarantee. And you might also remember that he said that they should be voting for one of those parties and not for the Greens, particularly in the Melbourne area, because Stephen Elder was worried that the Greens were questioning the 25% guarantee, not to mention, of course, the $120 million that were promised for an expansion of the Catholic system. And what happened? If you remember, listeners, you might remember that for the first time for many, many years, the Catholic vote not only didn't matter, it was just not there. And people reacted against Stephen Elder trying to play politics and they voted for the Greens so that we got Greens, more Greens in the state parliament uh, in, uh, in the November election. Very interesting indeed. 
Now, on Saturday last, The Age revealed how the this shop, this shop Workers' Union, which is a Catholic union, pays major employers, including Coles and Woolworths, up to $5 million a year in commissions for administering payroll deduction of union dues. So the close relationship between the union and the actual employers of their members helps the SDA maintain its 200,000-plus membership and therefore its influence in the Labor Party. So the SDA plays a major role in social policy debates at the state and federal level, including on the simmering issue of same-sex marriage. So when they were elected, the Andrews government included about nine SDA-linked MPs, although a recent internal spat may have reduced that number, including four cabinet ministers. Now, a spokesman for the Minister for Education said, the Andrews Labor government's commitment to Catholic and independent schools has evolved since it was first raised under Premier John Brumby in 2010. And this 25% idea was announced before the election in 2014. And then they went on to say this, 38% of Victorian students attend a Catholic or independent school and we want to give every child every chance to receive the best education in our state. Well, what a pity that they don't underline the fact, the very simple fact, that the Catholic Education Office actually doesn't want to give every child every chance to reach the best education in our state because they select children. And they reject children. So their very fundamental educational policy and philosophy just does not add up, does it? So the uh, funding was allocated through the so-called financial assistance model, which they claim is a needs-based funding model, but everybody knows that the Catholic Education Office does what they like with the money and the dogs many years ago, from the very beginning, have pointed out that the Catholic Education Office has never been interested in needs. The Catholic Education Office and the Catholic Church is interested in getting as much money as possible and expanding its system at the expense of the state system. Since the 19th century, the uh, Catholic and other church uh, policies have been anti-public system and pro-control of education by religious groups. So uh, the dogs are very interested indeed that a worm is turning and people are starting to wake up that the DLP, which caused so much trouble in the ALP in the 1950s, even though it appears to have collapsed, it hasn't gone away. It's just changed its colour. It's a chameleon and it has gone, the members have gone and have got control in the Labor Party and also in the Liberal Party. And uh, that is the way uh, a communion works. It just changes uh, what it looks like, but in fact it stays the same. It's still the same animal. So uh, that's what I have to say. Uh, Robert has a very interesting article which appeared in the age of... uh, Thursday last, and he's going to refer you to that.
Thank you very much, Jean. You're listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and Podcast. The Dogs, the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. Actually, before we leave that issue of the SDA, the Shop Distributors and Allied Unions, I think it's worth pointing out, Jean made, an ac- well, ac- made a claim that the DLP... Um, which actually are a very large part of this particular union, the SDA. Um, And that's, by the way, an unashamed part. That's not a sort of claim. That's just something they say about themselves. Um, This particular union, um, when there was a Royal Commission into union corruption that was initiated by the federal Liberal Party, the SDA were specifically excluded from that Royal Commission into Union Corruption. Are you serious? I'm absolutely, absolutely serious. The shop distributors and allied unions were excluded from the, the Royal Commission into Union Corruption by the Liberal government. Even though they pay Coles and Woolworths $5 million to deduct um, membership dues. Oh, they were seen to be very um, a useful and friendly union by businesses and indeed the Liberal Party, and so therefore there was no, there was no point, as far as the Liberals were concerned, of looking at union corruption within that particular union They went looking for corruption in unions, which the Liberal Party did not like. Now, I present that just very singular fact, um, not as evidence, but as support to what Jean is saying in terms of this group of people who used to be part of the Democratic Labor Party who have moved out, branched out into different places. Stephen Elder has a very on-the-record interest. He is the head of the Catholic Education Office, and he will fight very actively for the benefits of the Catholic Church and He is the lay head. Robert, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you there because no, well. I think it, it must always be said that the person who actually owns all of the property is the corporation's soul, and that is the bishop. Oh, I see so, what you mean. in the end, at the end of the day, the Catholic system is just that: it is a religious system which is owned by the hierarchy. Yes. Yes, yes, I, I can't possibly argue with that, Jane. You have the point. He is an active lay Catholic representative who is fighting for the interest, the financial interest of the bishop, um, which is represented, of course, through the Catholic Education Office. And the shop distributed in Allied Union um, obviously have very strong, um, how shall we say, Catholic values, which they put out. And, of course, as Jean has just analysed in depth, they are playing politics with the educational implications for the children of Victoria and, indeed, Australia. You're listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Uh, to move the sort of agenda along, I'd like to talk about something a little bit related and quite local here in Victoria. As Jean mentioned before, there has been, a very, I think, it's an extraordinary article um, an extraordinary article by Julie Zergo in The Age. The Age, of course, of the 7th of May, which you mentioned before. And it's worth analysing it because, quite frankly, I could have written it myself. Um, yes, it's, the dogs. It, the dogs it, it, it is the dog's position without any ambiguity. When we talk about the Gonski, we say, well, yes, it's nice to have money, but a voucher system, which the Gonski implies, is not something that the dogs support. When various other advocates for, pri- for public schools, I should say, come up, we say, well, we're not quite going far enough. The dog's position is what it is. It has not changed for decade after decade, which is that no money, no taxpayer's money, should be received by any private school, certainly not one which has religious exemptions. And Julie Zergo wrote a very interesting article, and like all good journalists, she attempts to personalise it because she says in this article, that she recently attended an open night at her own daughter's future high school. 
She said, this was a public school that had once been in a downward spiral of miserable results, poor discipline and falling enrolments, before a new principal started to turn things around. The staff at this public school boasted about last year's school ducks, whose ATAR school got this student into biological medicine. Um, A particular teacher said, and I quote, we're improving all the time. The teacher beamed as we milled about the home economics lab on this open day. Now, despite the late hours, dozens of students had come to serve us freshly baked muffins and to spruik their close-knit, proudly multicultural community. An older boy with a mop of hair over one eye said, best school ever. Now, driving home from this open night, Julie thought about the boy's jubilant endorsement and the sense of optimism and striving that she had observed along with tasting the nice muffins. Then almost on cue, she passed a billboard on the road, advertising private schools. Images of children, immaculate in their uniforms, and they were communing with musical instruments or poised above the Bunsen burners with slogans trumpeting their inquiring minds, their leadership qualities, or entrepreneurism. The unmistakable message is that parents wanting to give their children every opportunity naturally covet such schools. And quite frankly, to step away from Julie Zergo's article, if you have been driving around the streets of Melbourne lately, I would find it impossible to imagine you haven't seen one of these private school advertisements stuck up somewhere next to a road or a freeway. Our taxes at work. Stuck up, stuck, stuck up on a billboard somewhere. They are now becoming quite ubiquitous. Mm. But back to Julie. She says that the same message informs the last-minute booking website called School Places. I won't give you the URL. Um, this website offers hefty discounts for, and I quote, Australia's leading private schools. Under the promise, again, and I quote, sending your child to a private school just got easier, they say, at the website school places. And this, this same message underpins private school scholarships. The idea that only the very gifted can attend such schools for free has the paradoxical logic of both validating the high fees and creating an illusion of a meritocracy or superior moral worth. Still, Julie says, if she had a dollar for every parent she knows who's sweating on the outcome of their child's scholarship exam, she says she'd be as rich as the elite schools themselves. Interestingly, she said, the private school lobby likes to say that parents choose these schools for their values. I'm not sure what values these schools have at work in their scholarship system. The private schools would say they're bequeathing opportunities for less advantaged kids. But these schools cherry-pick kids whose achievement will advance the institution by attracting yet more fee-paying students. The only value exemplified is the value of commerce, with students analogous to high-yield investments. These schools are in the business of sowing doubt, gutting state high schools of aspirational families and shredding egalitarianism. That's not surprising, because most businesses are driven by self-interest. But where Australia takes the cake for stupidity is paying these businesses, paying the businesses, for the privilege of undermining the educational equity 
and by extension our national economic growth. We have heard time and again private schools claim that entitlement to public funds is on the basis that they are, and I quote, taking pressure off the public system. In truth, they're doing precisely the opposite. With the scholarship process, luring high-performing students from the public school system, whether by scholarship or other inducements or guilt-laced promotions, weakens the cultural mix of government schools. It lowers expectations of the remaining students and transforming these schools into options of last resort. And these, and I quote, residual schools are punishing on the public purse, requiring more and more equity funding to compensate for the concentration of kids from low socioeconomic backgrounds and more money for remedial and other interventions. Now, in March, a report by the Need to Succeed group, which I'll come back to later, because Richard Teese has written a very interesting article that I think is worth reading in detail, or at least commenting on in detail, because it relates to this very problem. But as part of this Need to Succeed group, they mined the data from the MySchool website, and they found a steady drift from disadvantaged schools to advantaged schools in the five years leading up to 2013. With this drift, the gap in academic performance between poorer and richer schools widened. As a revelation, that's hardly startling. What's really discussed is how uniquely self-sabotaging Australian education policy has become. Um, uh, University of Melbourne's Professor Richard Teese describes our education system as obnoxious. He says there is no other system like it. Teese contrasts Australia's system of education... Um, funding with those in other countries like France and Spain and Belgium. Not, not Finland and Germany, as, as Jim is doing, but you know, comparable systems. Now, he says in these countries, Catholic schools do get public funds, not like in Finland, but with strings attached. If you're in France and you're running a Catholic school, that Catholic school cannot charge fees at all, and they must, and this is a must, be open to everyone. There is no cherry-picking allowed. Now, if Australia's private schools were really taking the pressure off the public system, they would target the kids from the bottom of the ladder. I don't mean kids from poor families whose parents place a premium on education. She says if your private schools really wanted to take the pressure off the public system, they would be taking kids born with fetal alcohol, sy alcohol syndrome or with drug-addicted parents or with disabilities and learning difficulties, the child's in, children in child protection systems and programs. The kids who start school, barely having opened a book, the odds stacked firmly against them. But, as she says, and this is Julie Zergo, the bankrupt propaganda of the private school lobby does them no harm. As Australia's education rankings slide year on year on year internationally, even as our Asian trading partners, with their generously resourced public education systems, just overtake us, even as the clever country grows dimmer by the day, our politicians feed the hand that bites them. The most illustrative case study, she says is the Education Minister James Molino's decision to lock in funding for private schools, irrespective of financial need and in contravention of the Gonski reforms. It's the sort of policy that makes you question modern Labour's raison d'etre. 
The minister's spokesman recently told the Sunday Age, and Jane mentioned this before, that Labor was, when, when Labor was last in government, its commitment to Catholic and independent schools has evolved. The word evolved, she says, suggests that the spokesperson sees Labor's promise to private schools as progress. We actually, she says, have it all backwards. Whatever the children in a private school stand to gain, in the long term, this system of social apartheid shortchanges us all. Isn't it fascinating? We have someone in the age using the phrase social apartheid, which from here at the dogs we've, we've just had as, a, had, had as a given because that's what the whole process is actually all about. It's about social apartheid. Well, we'll be returning uh, just in a little while after some music um, to the dogs program after just a little bit of music and we'll be talking about news, views, reviews and educational issues um, in Victoria, Australia and the world. Gather round me, everybody, gather round me while I preach some, feel a sermon coming on me, the topic will be sin, and that's what I'm again, if you want to hear my story. Then settle back and just sit tight While I start reviewing The attitude of doing right You got to accentuate to positive limb Monate the negative and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You got to spread joy up to the maximum. Bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate my last remark, Jonah in the way. What did they do just when everything looked so dark? Man, they said we better accept you ate the positive even. Might hate the negative and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. No, don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You got You got to accentuate to positive yes, yes. I need to negative and latch yes, on yes. to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. No, don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Stop the war in the poor. There you go for pensioners. Age pensioners, unemployed people, single parents with their children. 
vicious funding cuts to welfare, health and education. Join Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition and fight the cuts and fight for our rights. 11am Wednesday the 20th of May, outside the State Library. Demand federal and state governments improve living standards, not attack them. Be outside the State Library of Victoria, 11am Wednesday the 28th of May, to stop the war on the poor. Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition is a 3CR supporter. had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, we are now going across to America. We've been talking about... Uh, open access to education, how important that is uh, and how the public schools are open to everyone where the private schools are not. But over in America, uh, the Daily Costs, which is an interesting um, website, has revealed that a Michigan Catholic school has dismissed a 12-year-old leukaemia patient. Why? Because they missed too much school. Now, this horrified so many Americans. There are 106 comments on this article, but this is the article. There's a little girl called Rose McGrath, a 12-year-old Michigan girl who'd spent nearly three years fighting for her life. She's in recovery, but she's still dealing with the physical effects of leukaemia treatments. Although she's missed a lot of school, her mother says she was still going to pass her core classes and they were stunned by a recent letter from the school. The letter addressed concerns regarding Rose's attendance and academic performance and stated that Rose had been dismissed from St Joseph's Middle School. I didn't do anything wrong, but they still got rid of me, Rose said. St Joseph's Middle School administrators defended the decision. I mean, they defended the undefendable, if you like. These were extraordinary circumstances, they said, but so many accommodations were made that we felt eventually it became a point where we really had to help Rose by being able to make sure that she was getting the assistance that she needed and to learn, said Father John Fleckenstein with Battle Creek Area Catholic Schools. What on earth he meant by that, I don't know. The McGraths say that the school failed their child. The accommodations which were made were woefully inadequate for a child with such a serious diagnosis, said Rose's father, Tom McGrath. With less than five weeks until the school year's over, couldn't they have found a way to get her through? Perhaps they should revisit their own values. So there were some quite interesting responses from people. 
uh, which I'd like to refer you to. But, um, of course, the parents had quite a bit to say too. How do children learn to distinguish right from wrong? When the challenges of childhood appear, as they do for everyone, it's comforting to know that the spiritual framework of a community surrounds your student. It's a faculty your child can trust and friends he or she can rely upon, acceptance based on each person's unique qualities. The values taught in your home should be reinforced in your schools. There probably has never been a tougher time to be a parent, which is why there's never been a better child time to choose the Battle Creek area Catholic schools. We are your partners in your child's development and education. So that's what uh, the Battle Creek School talked about. They were their values. Um, but <laughs> when it came to a little girl with leukaemia, one just wonders what their values really are. And this is what one commentator said, and I found it very interesting. The object of persecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. The object of power is power. Now do you begin to understand me? And that's a quote from Orwell in 1984. The school had the power over a little girl with leukaemia. And one could, well, use some pretty strong language to um, perhaps describe what they did. Now here's another comment. I know my friend who died of leukaemia right after middle school called hell in the eighth grade from a single teacher because of the mysterious illness absences. But at least no one gave the person grief about it post-diagnosis. And that teacher was already known to be a miserable excuse for a decent human being and certainly was known as such publicly after. Heck, she had a rolling exception to the number of straight absences in a row before automatic expulsion for the rest of the course period policy. Just so she could have started the year if she'd lived and they'd let her rack up double and more than the rest of us could have before she died just because the hope of staying with her classmates was seen as an important thing to leave her. So in that public school, even though there was a teacher who had given the child pre-diagnosis trouble after the diagnosis that child in the public school with leukaemia uh, was given every support but the Catholic school didn't want to know even though they did know. Now another piece of uh, information that is interesting from America and I must here thank Rolf who sends me these material on the uh, email to keep me up to date with what's happening around the world. Um, this is a very interesting um, piece of information which Trevor Cobalt has also um, turned up. It concerns US charter schools and this is these charter schools are actually the model on which Christopher Pine uh, is promoting his so-called independent public schools. And they are just not 
the model to follow if what has happened in the United States to charter schools is anything to go on. There's been massive fraud and waste unearthed in the United States charter schools. A report has detailed fraud and waste in the school system in the United States totalling over $200 million in 2014 and 15. The report, however, says that this is likely to be the tip of the iceberg and that the federal, state and local governments stand to lose more than $1.4 billion because of regulatory failure. $1.4 billion American dollars. Charter schools are independent public schools in the United States that are publicly funded but operate independently of public education systems. They have considerable autonomy over staffing, curriculum and budgeting. And in some cases, they are actually run by businesses, by businesses like Holden or Ford or um, McDonald's and so on. Charter school operators may include community groups, institutions of higher education, non-profit corporations and in some states, for-profit corporations. The report details cases of fraud, mismanagement and waste in several states. For example, in Ohio this year, the state auditor reported that inspections of 30 charter schools revealed that nearly half of them had significantly overstated their enrolment. As schools are funded according to enrolments, this meant that schools were being overfunded. Almost 900 students were missing in seven of the schools at a cost of roughly $5.7 million. And the auditors identified eight other schools with troubling but less significant numbers of missing students. And listeners, given the enormous amount of funding that is now going to our so-called independent schools here in Australia, you could almost call them independent public schools, except in that they're run by um, other other for-profit or not-for-profit organisations because most religious uh, are non- non-profit organisations. Um or institutions, if you like, we actually don't know whether or not they are committing fraud against the taxpayers because there is no real check on the numbers of students in these schools uh, that they are funded for. And it's the same with the charter schools, and it will be very similar if we have Mr Pine's so-called independent public schools here in Australia. Now, this report in the United States is highly critical of inadequate regulation of charter schools and it says, despite the tremendous ongoing investment of public dollars in charter schools, government at all levels has failed to implement systems that proactively monitor charter schools for fraud, waste, abuse and mismanagement. And the vast majority of the fraud perpetrated by charter officials will go undetected because the federal government, the states and local charter authorisers lack the oversight necessary to detect the fraud. And it notes that while charter schools are subject to significant reporting requirements by various public offices, including federal monitors, chartering entities, country county superintendents and state controllers and auditors, very few public offices regularly monitor for fraud. The only way, dear listeners, that you can have uh, proper checks and balances is to have a centralised administration 
and you have each school reporting to the centralised administration and have checks in that, in that system. And what have we done in Australia? We have pulled down our centralised bureaucracies, our centralised administrations of the public systems, and we have filled them with so-called independent school sympathisers. And what have we had in Victoria recently? Fraud. But in fact, it has been unearthed and hopefully the government will do something about it. But there's no way that you can actually unearth the fraud in the so-called independent system because they are um, lords in their own right. They do as they please with public money pretty well. Now, the report in the United States calls for governments to put systems in place to prevent fraud, waste, abuse and mismanagement and it recommends the following. Audits that are specifically designed to detect and prevent fraud and increase the transparency and accountability of charter school operators and managers. Clear planning-based public investments to ensure that any expansions of charter school investments ensure equity, transparency and accountability and increase transparency and accountability to ensure that charter schools provide the information necessary for state agencies to detect and prevent fraud. Now, what Gillard did with the My School uh, website, of course, was to try to get some of the information from the private schools around Australia. And um, uh, the interesting thing is that she succeeded in part. We don't have all the investments of the private schools and their enormous endowments and how much they're really worth, but we do have some information which goes up on the website. And uh, Bernie Shepherd, who is um, an offsider, or he, he, I think he belongs to the Save Our Schools group, has done some very interesting research here in Australia on the My School website, and Robert will be referring to that later in this program. But that's enough for me from, in, from America uh, for the moment. Thank you very much, Jean. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. If you're interested in contacting us and finding out what we're all about and Jean's famous press releases, you can get them at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Now, Jean quite rightly referred to a very interesting article uh, by Bernie Shepherd, um, A-M-F-A-C-E, Bernie Shepherd, interesting fellow. He's wrote a very interesting article. I think it's worth quoting from parts of it. He's gone through the MyScore website and tracked what has happened to the Australian education system since MyScore has started, because it's been going for a while now. So going for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years. And we can now see how the Australian education system is doing because we have those metrics. Uh, those metrics uh, Bernie has had a good look at and his conclusions are actually quite interesting because he says there are some consequences to our education policy here in Australia. The consequences of splitting off our children into public and private kids. And what happens to the public kids? What happens to the private kids? Now, he says, there is, in fact, a policy fashion which started in the 1990s and the 2000s that there has been an assumption that marketising education delivery through competition would actually solve many of the perceived ills of education that had preceded that time. 
Now, he says, while it's not his intention uh, to canvass the arguments around this particular question, I think he's squibbing that one, there is mounting evidence that marketization has failed to produce the results that were expected of it. He says, for students with the good fortune to be learning in more advantaged schools than they were previously, after the various changes that have gone through education um, policy in the 1990s and 2000s, the results actually are as what research would predict, and they're almost certainly positive. The schools that enrol them also gain the advantages of growth along with the social and financial capital of their supportive and resourceful parents. In this sense, the educationally rich are very likely, says, says Bernie, to get richer. But the situation at the other schools and the students who choose to, or must, because of their circumstances, continue to attend uh, less advantaged schools, the um, changes have not been so benign, he says. These students experience a different dynamic in their learning environment, with the cultural influences of high-performing students no longer being there, bringing stimulus to their classrooms. The parents' organisations probably lost some of their more articulate and energetic advocates over this time, he says. The emphasis of teachers' work shifts subtly from continually exploring new ground to consolidating skills and knowledge already traversed. The reduced enrolment generally implies reductions in formula-dependent resources, and the schools then find it more difficult to provide the students support services that become increasingly necessary. Now, his argument's very simple. He's saying that the changes of marketization have produced a, what, what would statisticians and other people would call a zero-sum gain. There is a zero-sum argument here, he says. The advantaged gains by one section of the school population, the advantaged section, has created a, recog a recognisable now, because the, my school data has been analysed, recognisable disadvantage to the remainder. As a society, we have now made the choice to allow advantaged students to aggregate together and to gain the benefits of that aggregation. What else did they expect? Oh, it's just crazy. Equity demands that we ensure our choice does not disadvantage those who cannot access the benefits of the wealthy. So he talks in, in general terms in this paper of ways of redressing the balance, but I just think it's very interesting um, because at a very fundamental level, if you look at where the kids are going based upon the wealth of their parents. Now, if you look at the split-ups for government schools here in Australia, where there are 30% of the children from the lowest quartile, 30% of the children from the lowest quartile go to government schools. 14%, less than half, 14% go to Catholic schools. And these, these are the Catholic schools that Gene often says are the poor and needy ones. Well, there's not many poor kids in them. Whether they need anything as much as the government school is a question. And even if you go down the needs pass, you, you, you're on a slippery slope. We've never, ever, ever been told what, in fact, is the wealth, the actual net wealth of the Roman Catholic Church in this country or the Anglican Church in this country. We can tell you that the Uniting Church has made some very, very bad investments and lost a lot of money. So we've got an idea about the Uniting Church and you could get a, few, a, a fair idea about the wealth of the Presbyterian Church. But for the other two, and particularly for the Roman Catholic Church, it is um, a no 
you just can't get there and they refuse and they are very much against the um, Charities Commission because, in fact, that might winkle some of this information out into the public domain. Well, that is as it may be. I'm telling you that 14% of the enrolments in Catholic schools come from the lowest quartile. They are the poorest kids. So they can talk about charity all they like. It's not borne out in the figures that have come off the my school. Oh, 9%. Um, 9% of the poorest children are enrolled in independent schools. And as we probably examined today in this particular program, a lot of those students would be scholarship students. It's worth pointing out that for independent schools in particular, 47% of the richest quartile attend independent schools. So the breakup's just there. This whole division of rich and poor in Australia, the trashing of egalitarian values, the whole idea of the fair go just being sort of crushed under the wheels of small business minds who are running the private school sectors um, here in Australia. I mean, that's what's happening currently. It's not for the future. It's not something I'm scaring you with because if we don't do something, this will happen. No, it's too late. It's already there. It's, it's happened. That's what we're dealing with now, which is why the dogs have to stay and fight, stay and fight. Um, Bernie has some other things to say, and we might refuse, we might refer to his research um, in later programs. But I think it's worth um, it's worth talking a little bit about the lessons that can be learnt from overseas. Now, Jean's spoken a lot in this program about what's going on overseas, but I want to talk about Sweden. Sweden's a very interesting place, um, and at the moment over there in, in in Europe, there is an election in the UK. And the UK has looked at Sweden and said, well, Swedes are nice, they're all Nordic, we should copy their education system. And what the education system in Sweden happened about 10 years ago is that they created a sort of independent public school system. And it hasn't worked. And, well, let's let's just examine it in detail, Jane. Because in the UK, Michael Gove, who was the education secretary... He actually created a wholesale revolution in governance. That's creating these independent schools. And this was rushed through in the UK without considering the question of those awkward sorts (laughs) that the Bush White House used to dismiss as reality-based communities. Questions about whether the Reese Stampede to open free schools... I love the word free... So just just as an aside, I... Nothing free about that. I just read something the other day. It's very interesting. Um that someone had done a text analysis of um, American Christians and a text analysis of public statements from Islamic State. And both the public announcements from American Christians and the public announcements from Islamic State referenced the word freedom 25 times more often than public announcements from less religious groups. Both groups seem to be obsessed with this idea of freedom. Well, in the UK, they have free schools. I'm not quite even sure what that means. And to confer academy status, and whether actually this whole process of corporatizing and marketizing the education system in the UK would make things better or make things worse. Now, however, the OECD, which is in fact the rich country club, Um, which sort of can hardly be dismissed as part of an educational blob um, because Mr Gove has set himself against them and actually brings worrying news about the country that Mr Gove used to describe as his inspiration. And here we get to talk about Sweden. Now, Sweden is a frequently used 
and frequently misleading byword for a social democratic nirvana. It began experimenting with publicly funded independent schools over 20 years ago. Over time, nagging doubts grew about whether these islands of educational autonomy were working to increase segregation, both between social classes and between immigrant populations and nationals. Steadily, however, these schools over 20 years became entrenched as part of the system and were for the most part accepted as a useful bit of grit in the oyster when it came to raising average standards. But not any more, however. Reviewing the best comparative evidence, the OECD describes, in Sweden, a decade of declining performance. Scores for reading, maths and science are all on the slide. And overall, the Nordic state has uh, declined from around average to significantly below average in the global league tables of learning. A bigger drop than any other country has seen. What else did they expect? They should be looking at Norway or Finland. Of course, many things beside the Swedish version of the Free Schools program has been going on during these years, and that's included immigration and the widening of Sweden's traditionally narrow income gap. So at the same time as that they've been widening the gap in education, they've been widening their gap in income. Now, it would be foolish to pretend that everything can be blamed on the shift to contestable education provision. Why don't you like that word? contestable freedom. But it would be equally rash to brush off this cautionary tale in Sweden, which at least suggests that creating hundreds of independent institutions offers scant protection against a slide in standards. The OECD suggests that increasing the attractiveness of the teaching profession, improving pedagogical leadership and investing in professional development for teachers might be a more fruitful avenue to pursue than to create a marketised education system. Now, in the UK, the Conservative Manifesto does not propose (laughs) to change the course at all. They're just going to keep privatising in the UK, as we seem to be doing here in Australia. Um, In part, I was quoting from an an editorial in the Guardian in the UK about three days ago, obviously just before the election. Well, you're listening to The Dogs Programme, the defence of government schools, and we will be returning next week, as we do, because the fight isn't over. We have many allies in our fight, and the allies seem to be gathering around us. It's rather interesting. We have never changed, but people come and see what we do, and they join us in the fight to defend government schools. Until next week, from myself, Rob, and from Jean, it's bye for now. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper boy.
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Says he.